Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Edge of Darkness. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Huge thanks to our new subscribers this week. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy the show and would like to support it, consider subscribing. The link is in the information section of the episode. As a subscriber you will help support the show and get early access to episodes and bonus content. If you subscribe just now you will get access to next week's episode, The Ouija Board Gone Wrong, The Valicus Case. Anyway, moving on to this week's episode. Let's go, Beyond the Edge of Darkness. spent their early years on a farm outside Rutland, Vermont. Their occult powers supposedly first made an appearance while the brothers were still infants. Various reports indicate that the boys would disappear from their cradles and mysteriously reappear in other parts of the house. Later, when the boys became a little older, they would either go into trances or spiritual materializations would appear about them. When they went to school, items would allegedly levitate or be thrown across the room in scenes that are reminiscent of the horror film Carrie. Consequently, the boys were banned from attending school. Their father apparently believed that the boys' trances, spiritual materializations, and other supernatural happenings were the work of the devil. To drive away the spirits, he allegedly resorted to starving, beating, and pouring boiling water over the boys. His torturous treatments had no effect except to physically and emotionally maim them. Unable to rid the boys of their behaviors and the spectral manifestations that accompanied them, their father decided instead to make money off from their so-called gift. They were hired out as mediums for a traveling show. For 14 years, William and Horatio traveled throughout North America and Europe where they were often met with abuse, as skeptics tried to awaken them from their trances by drastic measures such as punching them. Others, believing that they were frauds or instruments of the devil, stoned, beat, burnt, or even shot at them. After their father passed away, the two brothers returned home. They converted their farm to an inn, where they took in guests for $8 a week. It was at this inn that the brothers began holding seance-type shows in which they would supposedly conjure up the spirits of the departed, who would interact with those in the room. No money was charged for these spiritual encounters. In 1874, as reports of strange happenings at the Eddy House spread, a writer for the Daily Graphic named Henry Alcott decided to investigate. Delving into the family's history, Alcott learned that several generations of William and Horatio's family had supposedly shown occult powers, including the boy's mother and grandmother, who were both said to be clairvoyant. Over a ten-week period, Alcott studied the family and the apparitions that appeared. When Alcott failed to find evidence of fraud, he enlisted the help of a team of experts that included engineers and carpenters to determine if there were any false panels or passages. But none were found. While Alcott came away convinced of the brothers' ability to communicate with the dead, many others remained skeptical and believed that most of the spiritual encounters can be explained as illusionists' tricks. While Chittenden, Vermont, had the Eddie brothers, 
Woodstock which is only about 33 miles away had its own share of spiritualist mediums. In Woodstock, spiritualism hit its peak in the 1850s. One of the best known of the local mediums was Marinda Briggs Randall. Marinda, who grew up in Woodstock on Rose Hill, was the daughter of a horticulturalist. Her mother had died when she was a child, and based on Marinda's writings, it appears that she was lonely and longed for an emotional connection with her father that she was never able to attain. Perhaps this void in her life instilled a latent desire to connect with the spirit world, including her own lost mother. From her writings, Marinda suggests that she was skeptical about spiritualism when she first heard about it, but having a curious mind, she wanted to investigate it for herself. Traveling to Boston, she met with a young woman who claimed to be a medium. This young woman supposedly was able to channel the spirits of Marinda's mother and deceased children who provided information that Marinda found credible, and Marinda became a believer. After this experience, Marinda studied spiritualism and eventually reached a point where she felt she could channel spirits well enough to be a medium for others. When she held seances or spirit circles, it is said that she sometimes alienated those who were present by delivering to them messages from the spirits that were less than flattering. In addition to being a spiritualist, Marinda, at the bidding of her own personal spirit guide, also became a doctor. She completed her studies at Penn Medical College in Philadelphia in just one year, graduating with honors in 1854. Two other area residents who claimed to be spiritual mediums were West Woodstockers George Grow and Austin Simmons, who eventually started co-hosting spiritualist meetings. George Grow grew up in what is now known as the Vondel area of West Woodstock, which is located off the Cox District Road. George was described by one of his neighbors as being lazy and not very bright, and his proclivities as a medium were at times dubious. The messages received from the spirits with whom George interacted were generally spelled out through rappings. When asked difficult questions, the spirit's answers would either be vague, a rebuke, or the spirit would say something noncommittal, to the effect of why do you ask that question. George appears to have tried to turn his newfound gift into a money-making venture. For $12 he claimed he could bestow on a person the ability to be a medium, and for $1 people could attend one of his spiritual gatherings. Such patent use of his gift for financial gain undoubtedly made many people question his motivations. Austin Simmons, a fellow medium who at times led the spiritual circles with George, was a district clerk at the time. Eventually, George and Austin had a falling out, and Austin publicly indicated that the spirits in their circle had asked to have George removed and not allowed back into the circle, indicating that George was a fool. Soon after, both George's and Austin's careers as spiritualists came to a halt. In the case of Austin, he lost his position as district clerk. After being told that he had been dismissed from his job, he was followed home by a group of boys who pelted eggs at him. It is clear that he still held to his spiritualist beliefs after that incident, for in the August 13, 1857 edition of Woodstock's local paper Spirit of the Age, Simmons notes, spiritualism, like all other isms, from Calvinism down to Mormonism, requires age to purge off the irregularities which fasten upon its altar. Hence, it would be manifestly unjust to expect that all spiritualists can present an unbroken front and an angel countenance, while nominal Christianity 
after 1800 years of labor, has only political parsons to boast of. While its proselytes have only love enough to make them hate each other, and while its members and its ministers hang upon our gallows and people our prisons. I am not a prophet, nor am I in a strange land, yet, I venture to state that spiritualism will advance with its own peculiar grace, until the world is better. George Grow, having been publicly told that the spirits demanded his removal from the spiritual circle, appears to have gone back to ordinary life, and returned to working on his family's farm. The information regarding George Grow and Austin Simmons' spiritual circles came from journals written by Charles M. Cobb who lived in West Woodstock. Although Charles Cobb concluded that spiritualism was all nonsense, he also stated that he attended one final spiritual session with George Grow, in which an event happened that he could not explain. In that session, which was held at Charles' home, George Grow whispered a word to Charles' father. Then Charles, with a copy of the alphabet, ran his pen down the letters in such a way that George could not see the alphabet or what letter Charles' pen was pointing to. As he did so, George would get a rap from the spirit whenever the correct letter was reached. To Charles' amazement, the letters identified by the spirit spelled out the word that George had secretly told to Charles' father. While this experience dumbfounded young Charles, as he had no idea of how it was accomplished, it did not make him a believer. By the late 1870s, it appears that in Woodstock there was still an interest in spiritualism, even if it were largely to debunk it. Ed and Lorraine Warren mentioned the Eddie Brothers case on The Seekers of the Supernatural with Tony Aspura. Here is the audio. Come on. I want to talk, Ed, about a place that you love, Chittington. Wanna, yeah, this, Chittington, this, this is a Chittington, case Vermont. that uh, I've been intrigued uh, by for years and years. The Eddie Brothers in Chittenden, Vermont. Vermont. Now, Chittenden, Vermont, is just a speck of a place, a village. Mm -hmm. In the 18, late 1800s, it was also a speck. It's still the same as it was then. No different. Uh, farms, uh, you go down to the center of the village, there's the fountain. That's the biggest thing around. But there is a mountain resort there now. I forget the name of uh, it. Mountaintop. 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 And uh, people don't probably know the reputation of Chittenden. And yet they have to pass the graveyard. Yeah. Where well, I'll tell you what it is. Guys are buried. In a farmhouse, two young boys the Eddies. were born right there, the Yeti brothers and a sister. Their mother came from Scotland and was a mystic, a woman who was a medium. The father was a very ignorant person, um, uncouth. I can't think of enough mean things to say about this guy. Anyhow, the two boys would constantly talk about the invisible playmates, and they talked to them and play with them. But then they started appearing in front of this father, and he thought there were some kind of tricks. The boys would go into a state uh, of mediumship where uh, they would be sound asleep, out like a light. He thought they were fooling around. He would take hot coals out of the fireplace and drop them in their hands. They still had the scars when they were still in their late 80s. Oh. They were going into a deep trance. They were deep trance mediums. As they grew older, uh, there would be something like 40 and 50 apparitions which would appear in solid form, as solid as we are, 
in the attic of this farmhouse. Now, the first thing you're going to say is, it was all put on. Remember, we're going back to like 1865. Of people around the world because you would have African chiefs which would appear, you would have Arabs which would appear, uh, people from India in full regalia, soldiers that would appear and they would talk just like I'm talking right now, full materializations. People would come from all over the world to see this and you know what the Eddies would charge them? Five dollars a week room and board and they could see all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Colonel Alcott, uh, Madame Blavatsky, who were the, the leading investigators and she was the leading clairvoyant of her day, came all the way from Russia. And they came up there, they witnessed all of these manifestations, apparitions, ghosts, but it went a step further. Uh, down the road about a mile away is a cave. We have a picture of here, we can show it. Hantos Cave. Hanto's cave. An Indian chief by the name of Hanto is this it? was the one that would appear there. That's where the rock is. Now, he would appear on top of this ledge of the cave. I'm just going to hold these up, and I don't know how the camera's going to pick them up because they're a little, they're a little, glossy. Uh, they're they're little glossy, but if you can get that's any it. of this. We got that's it. good. That's Hanto's cave? That's Hanto's that's cave, and right on the top of that rock, this chief Hanto would appear, mm -hmm. and he would have with him maybe 25 or 30 Indians. Mm. And people who would come to the farm would all sit around in a circle around this huge rock and cave. Mm -hmm. And these Indians would get up there and they would talk and they would perform different ceremonies. I could see that psychically, Tony. Do you have another picture there? This is, yeah, this kind of shows. Let me just put this picture right up, yeah. right in front of this one, uh, Tom. And Tom is an expert cameraman. He'll get this. That's another see, view now, of it. See, there's the entrance the cave, of the cave. There's the entrance of the cave. Now, it shows the house here as it was during the time of the Eddie brothers. It's still there today, the house. It is? Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, we were there. The house we now. went in there, and Let's we see the had house. communication in the Let's house. See it, right? We were there. Uh, Tom, it's up to you, Tom, to... Uh, there, it's up is there on the left? Uh, no, no it's, uh, turn it around. Tom. Is that this one? That's as it was, the drawing of it. That's how it was, Tony, and that's how Up it is today. Up on the left today. hand corner, and there it is on the right, the way it is today. They moved the house around, actually. Mm -hmm. And there's Horatio and William Eddy. Can you lower it? They lived it? to Can be you in their this? 90s, there you, you know. Go. There yeah, you he go. lived to be 90, this yep. one. Eddie, uh, Bill Eddy, William Eddy. But you know, the father, when he found out that this was legitimate, he had some guy from a circus take the kids away. He paid them so much. Mm -hmm. These kids were abused terribly. Mm-hmm. In fact, one time they were actually tarred and feathered. You're kidding. The because kids? people felt that yeah. they were tarred and feathered the devil, the because devil was they felt them. that they were fakes and they ran them out of this town. Or that the devil Now, what's this like. picture here? Of this little, is this anything that uh, you a, want to that's show? A, that's a oh, relative. That's one of the uh, relations of the Eddies. That's the only relation that yeah. we know he, of. He, he still has something shit in them. We're going to show this uh, shot of Tom. Yeah, he is an Eddie. Yeah. 
He is an Eddie. Doc, he's an Eddie, one of the Eddies? Yeah. He's a relative that's, of the Eddies? That's Ed. Wait. That's and, Ed Warren uh, back in what? Nine, about 18 years ago? About 18 years ago? Yeah, yeah that's, that's 18 years there. ago. 18 yes. years ago, and Ed was 30 years old. Well, I just have I have a letter <laughs> from him about uh, three months ago. Oh, yes, this and, man. And uh, we're going to get together, and I want to go okay. up there. And I'd love to take some psychic pictures at the cave in the house. So you've been to Chittenden, right, Ed? You've been there. Oh, we've Many been times, in the right? house. A dozen times. Oh, yes. We've been did, in the house. Did any get any special feelings? That we're, we're running a little low on time. We've got about two minutes or a yeah. minute well, Got any special feelings when you go in that house? When I went, we went to the grave sites, Tony, where they're, where they're buried. Mm -hmm. And we also went to Hanto's Cave. Now, when we were at Hanto's Cave, I could see these people, like, all outlining and and like going all the way down the sides hmm. of that big stone, and they were holding candles, and they were dressed in some sort of ceremonial thing. I could see that psychically. psychically. Yeah, and then we were in the house, which is now owned by a game preserve, game. honey. Game people. Game preserve. So it's anybody who wants to go to Chittenden, it's Chittenden, Vermont. Oh, yes. It's on the map. Yes. There's no biggie to get to, right? And, and you, right where that mountaintop lodge is, anybody is has the any graveyard.